And we're turning in our scriptures to Matthew chapter 6. Picking up um, our summer series looking at the Lord's Prayer. We had three weeks of kind of introductory sermons considering the nature of prayer, the necessity of prayer, and so forth, and what it means to pray. Um, And now we get to the Lord's Prayer, uh, properly speaking. So let's um, reacquaint ourselves with those words from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in uh, verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing uh, to the preaching of it. Uh, Prayer can be defined quite simply as communicating with God. That would be a very simple definition and a correct definition. In prayer, we communicate, we talk with God. And when we look at the preface to the Lord's Prayer, uh, that that one line, our Father in heaven, uh, we come to understand something of who this God is uh, to whom we are communicating in prayer. First, we consider this glorious pronoun, our, our Father, our. And, and I, I would posit to you that's actually the most important word in this entire prayer, is that pronoun. That should be the Christian's preferred pronoun when it comes to prayer especially, when we learn the riches um, of, of what this means. It means the simple word, a massive truth about God, simply that he's accessible. What's the first thing that we learn about the God to whom we pray? It's that he's an accessible God. An accessible God. Now, the very fact that we're praying to him teaches us as much. But what I mean here is that when we say our father, we're saying that he's accessible because he's not just any father. He's not just a father. He is our father. And it does make a difference. Boys and girls, you know that it makes a difference whether somebody's a parent or whether they're your parent. You perhaps are willing to listen to the instruction of your parent, I hope, uh, but maybe, depending on the context, not somebody else's parent. Uh, or if you're out playing in the churchyard and, and you fall and you scrape your knee really bad, and I mean, there's like blood everywhere, and we're going to have to call 911. At that moment, you don't want any mom or dad. You want your mom and dad. And uh, uh, babies know this even instinctively. You know, if a, if a little baby starts crying, even if at that moment they were fine in the arms of another mother, as soon as they start crying, they want their mother. And when we say our father, we're, we're claiming that God is as accessible to us as our own father. Not just that he's fatherly in a general way, but that he's specifically our father. He isn't somebody else's. He's ours. And so right out of the gate, we're being taught that prayer is a gospel gift because the only way that any of us could ever pray those words, our Father, is because we've been saved from sin and we've been transformed from being rebels and orphans into the very children of God. That's the gospel. 
that the Son of God, he who was the Son of God eternally, by nature, came into this world to make you and me sons of God everlastingly. Not by nature, but by grace. That's what the gospel is about. That Jesus Christ came so that we could share in what he has known for all eternity. The love of his father. When we say our father, we remember who's, who's telling us to say that. It's Jesus. The our includes him. He's welcoming us into his relationship with the father. So, so the gospel is central here when we're praying. The incarnation is central here when we're praying. Our union to Christ is central here. What we're, what we're learning here is that every time we pray and we say our Father, we're reminding ourselves that Mary became his mother so that God could become our Father. He came to earth. He lived a life and died and then was raised again and ascended. What does he say? He says, to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. He becomes ours. This is what Calvin says. He says, for in calling God father, we put forward the name Christ. Anytime we we call God father, we're putting forward the name Christ. With what confidence would anyone dare address God as father? Who would break forth into such rashness as to claim for himself the honor of a son of God Unless we had been adopted as children of grace in Christ. He, while he is the true son, has of himself been given us as a brother. That what he has of his own by nature may become ours by benefit of adoption. If we embrace this great blessing with sure faith. So you see what Calvin is saying. Every time we pray to God as father, we're expressing our trust and our faith in the work of Christ. That he is able to bring us to God as Father, that, that we're adopted in him. Or we could put it this way. There is no such thing as praying unless you believe the gospel. We don't pray in order to gain access to God. It's because we have access to God that we can pray. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, says, Without faith, it is speaking, not praying. Without faith, it's speaking, not praying. You're just talking. But when you have faith, you're praying. He goes on to say, prayer is the key to heaven, and faith is the hand that turns it. You know, to emphasize that point, uh, the early church wouldn't actually allow visitors, um, regular attenders, we might call them, non-members who were part of their Sunday assemblies, to pray the Lord's Prayer until they had taken a membership class. Membership classes are not a new invention, by the way. They go back to the first century. Um, and so the reason that they wouldn't allow them to pray the Lord's Prayer without going through uh, the, uh, the rigors of a membership class was to, to kind of highlight this point that only Christians pray. And while I think that might be taking it too far, uh, there's something, though, to be learned there, that they recognize, no, you need to be baptized first. You need to come into the church first. You need to show that you belong to God, and then you can pray these words. They'll be true of you. But we recognize that baptism, while it might make you a member of the church, only faith can make you a Christian. And so when we believe, when we have that faith, we can pray. So friends, when you believe on Christ, God himself becomes yours. You can get to him. You can reach him. He is accessible. 
not in a way that is less real or less true or, or less meaningful than Jesus, but in the very same way that Jesus himself experiences the relationship with the Father, we're invited into that. I already quoted it earlier, but John twenty seventeen, he says to his disciples, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I want you also to know today that if you are not God's child and you therefore cannot pray, it's not too late. It isn't. You can come to him still today, uh, still this evening. And your sin is probably telling you otherwise. Satan is, is, is whispering in your ear and, and we, by nature, are prone to believe it. We, we, we believe this lie that says, what I've done is too wicked. Um, my, my weaknesses in life are too great that God wouldn't want me as his child. And so we think, well, maybe I've missed out on that. I can't come to him anymore. And we ask this question, will God be a father to me who has profaned his name and been such a great sinner? This is the answer that Thomas Watson gave to that question. He said, though you've been a prodigal and almost spent everything on your lusts, yet if you will give a bill of divorce to your sins and flee to God by repentance, know that he has the compassion of a father. He will embrace you in the arms of his mercy and he will seal your pardon with a kiss. Therefore, let all who are yet strangers to God labor to come into his heavenly family And never cease until they can say, Our Father. Our Father. Can you say those words tonight? It's not too late if you can't. Maybe tonight could be the first time that you can pray those words and they actually be praying, not just speaking. That you can use the key to heaven. And the hand that turns that key is faith. God is welcoming us to himself. He's an accessible God. That's the first thing that we learn uh, just through that word, our. Our teaches us that God is accessible. Then, if that's true, then the word Father teaches us more than anything else that he's loving. Who's this God to whom we pray? He's an accessible God, and he's a loving God. That is, uh, there's there's so much, of course, packed into the imagery of a father, but I I believe when you take the biblical data together, uh, above all else, Uh, We're meant to know that God is loving when that term father is used. Uh, This is something that Jesus brought to bear during his ministry, unlike any prophet that ever came before him. Listen to this uh, statistic uh, that in the entire Old Testament um, canon, all uh, uh, from, from Genesis to Malachi, the entire Old Testament corpus, God is referred to as father 14 times. 14 times. Compare that to Jesus' use of the term over 60 times in just the four Gospels that we have recorded for us. You see, he comes to show us uh, that the best way for us to understand, it, it, it would seem to suggest that he's showing us that the best way for, our, or for us to understand how God acts towards us is that he acts as a loving father. It's not to say that God acts that way towards all people. All people have God as their maker. All people will have God as their judge, but only Christians have God as their father. 
the Heidelberg Catechism is really helpful in, in getting us to see how it's a paradigm shift to how you view the entire world and everything in it and, and all of history and time and, and really, truly everything when you come to recognize God as a father. This is question 26. The answer, I should say, to 26. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. Listen to this. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he's what? A faithful father. And then the very next question on the subject of providence concludes like this. All things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. It's as though, according to the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, you can't understand Romans 8.28 unless you understand that God is a father. What's Romans 8.28? You all know the verse that we believe that God will work all things to good according to those who... Um, I love him, those who are called according to his purpose. He works all things for good. Why? The Heidelberg tells us. Because he's our father. That's why he works all things for our good. Because he loves us. Because we're his children. He cares for us. And he wants us to succeed. He wants us to have success. He wants us to do well. He wants things to go well for us. So knowing that the God I'm praying to is a loving father, it helps my perspective of everything that I'm facing in life. It tells me that the good things that I have experienced in my life come from his hand as gifts. I don't deserve them, but he loves to to pour out gifts upon me. But even the difficult things in life only happen because my father has, has... almost, as it were, taken into account all of the various scenarios, all the way things could play out. And he has determined the course for me that will suit my eternal good. So even things that, from my perspective, are hard and are difficult and make me think, why would, you know, God, why would you do this? Do you not love me? No, I'm reminded By what the Heidelberg says, by what the biblical data shows. No, he's my father. And so even these difficult things must be because he knows they will serve my everlasting good. That means, and we know this, don't we? That fathers sometimes make their children do hard things, tough things, scary things. Because they know if they go through them, it will be well for them. I was thinking, you know, of... How I've experienced that in life uh, as, as a father myself, making my children do difficult things. And I could tell you a story about teaching Jacob how to ride a bike. Or I was thinking about even as, as a child myself and having totaled my car after getting my driver's license and the difficult things my dad made me do at that moment. But I feel compelled to tell you about my turtle instead. When I was in second grade... I got a pet turtle. His name was Leroyd. Not Leroy, Leroyd. And um, my babysitter was watching me, and she took me to go get him. And I, to this day, I'm pretty sure she did not ask my parents, but they come home, and I have a turtle. And, uh, you know, we got a little aquarium thing for Leroyd. And I loved looking at him. I didn't have many friends in second grade. That explains a lot of this. 
But I was terrified to touch him. My own pet. Because, you know, they're, they're safe behind the glass. But once you would pick him up, I don't know if you've ever picked up turtles. They, sometimes they, they, they go into the shell, but other times they pull out these claws. And they're kind of swimming in midair. And that terrified me. And my dad was pretty frustrated that here I have this pet turtle and I wouldn't even touch it. And so he made me lie down on the living room floor the day we got the turtle. And he placed Leroy on my belly. And he said, you cannot move for two minutes. And Leroy just crawled all up my belly and up my chest and his claws are touching my neck. I was terrified and I'm crying. I don't want to do this. But then I realized, oh, it wasn't so bad. I was still alive. And we had a good four or five years with Leroy. My dad made me do something that was difficult. But he knew that in the end, it would have been a good thing for me. And it was a good thing for me. Friends, your Heavenly Father might be calling you to do something difficult. Boys and girls, your Heavenly Father might be calling you to do something difficult. Something you don't want to do. Something that that seems really hard. Something that seems scary even. And can I just say, in general, being a Christian today can be scary. Just being a Christian. Just trying to live a Christian life. That can be scary. And yet God promises us that he's using all things for our good. Jesus would have us never be afraid, even if we're facing tragedy or want or death. He tells us in Luke 12, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that verse. It's Luke 12, 32. I'm going to read it one more time. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is saying you don't have to be afraid because what delights God is to give you everything. His own kingdom he wants to share with you. Don't be afraid. And so with that in mind, do you see how our posture and our expectations in prayer change? When that clicks, we will pray differently. When we see that God is preeminently our father, then we'll readily ask him of our greatest needs because we know he loves us. He's not going to turn us away. We can be open with him. We can be honest with him. We can also ask with boldness because this is our confidence. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So everything we have seen thus far in these two words, our father invites us to prayer. We see that God is accessible. We see he's loving, but then Jesus adds something else about this God, and he tells us where he is, and he's in heaven, and that's meant to to give us pause, to to cause us to, to stop for a moment. Yes, he's accessible. Yes, we should run to him, but then we're reminded we must do so cautiously because he is, thirdly and finally tonight, a transcendent God. Transcendent. That means... He comes out from outside of this world. He's not part of this world or even this creation. So, although he's very much like a father, he isn't the same thing as your daddy or your grandpa. He isn't. He's a high and holy God. He deserves and demands our reverence. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that as we come into God's holy presence to the the temple for worship, it says, guard your steps as you come into the house of the Lord. And then, We are reminded also to not be rash with our mouths, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. That mere fact that he resides in the heavenly places and we're down here should cause us to be quiet, to be careful with what we say. 
And the lesson is, is more than that we would speak reverently in prayer. It's that we would live reverently as well. Because the Father to whom we belong is a heavenly and holy Father, we ought to reflect that in our entire lives. He's not only our, our Father when we're praying, He's our Father all the time. And so we must live lives that are worthy of Him. Do you live for things of this world? Do you live for the pleasures of this moment? Do you live for what you'll get from your friends or from social media or from your job or, or from your marriage? Things that are just bound to this earth or do you store up treasures in heaven? Is your heart in heaven where, where God is? Peter gives these instructions. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Obedient children will be holy, because their Father in heaven is holy. But beyond uh, um, revering this Father, the fact that he's transcendent, the fact that he's heavenly, it's not just meant to cause us to to be afraid, or or, or, as I said, to, to revere him. It should also give us reason to rejoice. The fact that he's heavenly gives us reason to rejoice. Because to say that God is a heavenly father is to say that he's the best father that there is. William Twist is a long-forgotten Puritan, and he wrote a catechism that is also long-forgotten. But at one point, he, he goes through the Lord's Prayer in this catechism. And here's the question. Do you believe that God is your father? Answer, yes. Question, what kind of father? Answer, A heavenly father, that is, the best father, for heavenly things are better than earthly things, as the light of the sun is better than the light of a candle. While there are many fathers, there is only one heavenly father. While there are many good fathers, there's one father who is best, and he's yours. You get him, he's accessible. Now, the fact that God is in heaven is the reason that he can do all things with our, our prayers. He can actually change our situation, can't he? he? He can actually transform our lives. He can actually rescue us from danger. Why? Because he stands above and over everything that, that's plaguing us in this life. The whole world is in his hands and he can shape it however he would like. That's why we pray to him and him alone. You've likely found yourself on the phone with some sort of uh, customer service line. Maybe you're speaking with somebody at, at the desk of a, an office setting or a doctor's office kind of thing, and, and, and you're there because there's an issue. I don't know what the issue is. You already are thinking in your mind of what the issue is because we've all been there before, right? For me recently, it's been with the, um, um, the tax people, the IRS, right? Um, trying to fix something and you're on hold for 30 minutes and then you get somebody and you talk for 15 minutes and then they transfer you and then they transfer you and they transfer you and you get to a point where somebody finally says there's nothing else we can do there's nothing else i can do sorry you know you can you can even you know at that moment that you have hit a roadblock because they're not lying to you they can't do anything more that is never Never the answer that God gives his children. Well, there's nothing else I can do. Uh, We've reached a roadblock. A father who is in heaven, a father who is transcendent, is not 
limited. He's not tied down by this creation. And in your moment of deepest need, he says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why? Because he's in heaven. And finally, we we rejoice to come to this heavenly father because, again, of the the sheer gift of grace that it is. What a thing that that the God in heaven would, would humble himself to hear us. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, heaven, but also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. What a wonder. Do you ever realize that, friends, that that when you bow yourself in prayer, there's a sense in which God himself has bowed to you. You're bowing before him, and he's bowing down to you, coming to you. Why? To lift you up, to pick you up, to revive you. Let's give the fourth century preacher, John Chrysostom, the final word tonight. How vast is the love of God to man? How vast the honor conferred upon us? What prayer could ever sufficiently express the gratitude that we owe to him who has crowned us with such mercies? Consider, my beloved, the worthlessness of your nature and of mine. Trace our origin, earth, dust, clay, mud, ashes, dust we are, and unto dust we shall return. But then next, contemplate the inestimable riches of the divine goodness towards us that you are commanded to call God Father. That you who is earthly, is commanded to claim a heavenly, a mortal to claim an immortal, a corruptible to claim an incorruptible, a child of time to claim an eternal father. That you, who but two or three days ago were nothing more than clay, are commanded to claim as father him who is from everlasting to everlasting God. Our father in heaven, we rejoice that we can come to you to claim that you are ours, that you're accessible, to know that you love us with the love that a father has for his children, and yet even more than that. For you are the best father. For you alone are in the heavens. We thank you that you delight to give us all things, to give us a kingdom. You delight to to stoop down to us and to revive our hearts and to restore us. What a, a gift prayer is that we can call out to you and know that you hear us. So inspire us on to greater prayer that we would be so emboldened to know that, that when we come to you in prayer, We are coming to a God whose arms are wide open. And as a father, you deal so gently with us. You know our feeble frame. And you bear us in your arms. And so, we thank you. We praise you. And we give you the glory. 
that you have made this possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.